three, two, one. Hey everybody, welcome back to 321 Overtime. I'm one of your co-hosts, John Torres, along with my buddy here. Ellen Brian McCallum. Ilan is right. He has been sick, and he looks like death warmed over, I have to tell you. I don't feel like I'm very warm. You know, I haven't had a fever, but I've had everything else. Brian, you look like you could be on The Walking Dead right now um, without a whole lot of makeup. Well, I was going to apologize for having you come over and me not having my... I didn't put my face on, and I haven't really done my hair. (laughs) Wow. Well, Brian, the fall classic is underway. Game one of the World Series was played last night. The Astros and the Nationals... Who do you like in the series? Well, I just have heard that the Astros have this unbelievable pitching staff, so how do you go against that? Although they haven't sailed through the playoffs quite as easily as one might have expected. Yeah, a lot of late-inning heroics. And, and of course, the Nationals are on this, uh, you know, destiny hot streak. I have to say, John, that I'm not a Nationals fan because they left us. Here on the Space Coast, we had the Expos, who then became the Washington Nationals, and they abandoned Brevard County, leaving our beautiful stadium for... A softball league or something. John, how do you leave a stadium where the worst first pitch in the history of mankind was thrown? <laughs> yeah, that was me. The Nationals-Mets in the year 2012 or something like that. It's a historic ballpark. That was historic. And uh, Brian, this World Series is going to be dominated by pitching. And as soon as I say that, I predict every every score. 12 to 10. Yeah, exactly. I was going to say 10-9. But the, you know, the Astros have great pitching with Garrett Cole, Justin Verlander, but the Nationals have Max Scherzer and Steven Strasburg. So I expect a lot of low-scoring games in this, and so we'll see if my sports intellect proves right here. You know, John, when I was in college and I worked in a student job in the athletic department, one of my roles was to, I was the official scorer at these baseball games. Louisiana Tech was my alma mater. I always remember a 23 to 19. <laughs> that's oh when you have gosh, to turn wow. turn pages in the scorebook. <laughs> yeah, that's not fun. <laughs> you know, you run out of not just columns on the first page, but the second page. That was uh, quite an afternoon. Wow. Now, 23-19 is more like a football score, Brian. And the NFL this weekend, another quarterback went down with an injury, Matt Ryan of the Falcons. It's not sure yet how serious that is, but... Um, John, how sad is it that, and I know you're going to say that you do the exact same thing because you're even more evil than I am, you immediately wonder whose fantasy team is he on? He's on mine because I traded oh, for him. Really? I traded for him last week. <laughs> well, and I didn't he even got me thirty look. points. <laughs> and then, so you know what? I'll have to start Jacoby Brissett or Philip Rivers in the next. Oh, shoot, game. I'm feeling ten percent better. <laughs> but you know, Brian, injuries, as we all know, are part of the game. Although when right. it happens to your team, you oh, feel like goodness. you're the only guy that is really suffering. Right? Exactly. Right. But here's a guy. Dr. Frank Webby over at Florida Tech, also known as the Florida Institute of Technology, who has spent the last 20-plus years working on sports injuries, and you and I got a chance to speak to him. So let's he roll that tape. a smart guy, John. Professor Frank Webby joins us here, Brian, on the 321 Overtime Sports Hotline. And, Professor, you've been at Florida Tech now for about 41 years. Is that right? That's, that is true. This is my 42nd year starting up. And so you must have been a professor at the age of, what, 10? Yes, yes, probably eight, yes. (laughs) And I was a child husband, too, probably at the age of seven, yes. Well, that's a whole other episode uh, of the show. Yes. But um, Brian, I know, has done a lot of writing when it comes to sports injuries Mm -hmm. and sports-related concussions, and that's been one of your expertises, right? That is true. That is true. Since about 1987, 88, probably. 
Wow. And you also do work with Alzheimer's. I do. I helped found the East Central Florida Memory Disorder Clinic here in Melbourne. So before we talk sports and sports injury, I'm, I'm just curious, has there been any relation yet with, uh, with sports concussions and Alzheimer's, or is it too early to tell? Or it's, 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 it's a little early to tell everything, but what used to be a totally separate area, Alzheimer's disease, sports concussions, has come a lot closer because seemingly if you have enough concussions, you may, it's a, it's a risk percentage, you may have then contracted some form of dementia that will eventually present itself clinically and you'll act demented and it may be from having your head hit too much. The idea, however, is that it's, it's a risk. It's a statistical risk. And you don't know what controls the risk. Is it genetics? Is it the pure environmental exposure? Is it the combination? Is it the fact that you ate oysters? Um, that, that, that needs to be determined. I uh, have had my own opinions, and maybe you're not wanting to get into this area, but it's a big deal right now. And in, in the NFL, there's even a, a drama story going on right now with Antonio Brown, an Oakland Raiders player, who wants to wear his old helmet mm-hmm. rather than the new helmet. And I'm just curious. I watch rugby occasionally, and they're not wearing any helmet. No. And I wonder if you think that the biggest problem with concussions in sport or the biggest contributing factor is the fact that these players feel as if they have a weapon on their head and they are at liberty to kind of go crazy mm-hmm. with the head area, whereas rugby players wear nothing and right. don't seem to, maybe your research has found different, don't seem to have the, the issue, at least not in a widespread public manner. Yeah, in rugby it's not as widespread in a public manner. It's there, but they, they seem not to make as much of a big deal about it, uh, which they probably should, but, but they don't. So there are a lot of concussions in rugby. Okay. But you're right. The helmet gives, you know, it's like wearing army. You know, who can, who can hurt me? I've got my armor on. You still get hurt. You get a concussion if you have your helmet on, if it's a good helmet, if you're wearing it properly. What that helmet will do is keep you from having your skull split open. Right. So it'll, it'll prevent the catastrophic injuries for sure. But concussion is not a catastrophic brain injury. It's a, it's a milder brain injury, but it's, I always tell my students and others, it's a brain injury. And as soon as those two words are in, it doesn't matter if you say mild, moderate, or anything. It's still not what you want. So I think, yeah, I think the helmets do give players a false sense of security, but it also gives them a weapon. That's why I think the targeting rules that they put in football are long overdue, and now they really need to enforce them. I'm curious here, uh, Professor, I heard an interview with Mike Ditka, and I think he was being tongue-in-cheek. However, he said the way to eliminate head injuries in, in the NFL is to head back to those soft leather helmets. Well, is that better? <laughs> probably not. It, you know, back in about 1906, 1907, uh, when football was in its infancy, there were deaths from head injury, and President Theodore Roosevelt um, got presidents of some of the big schools that played, like Harvard and Yale and those. He got them together and said, hey, look, if this keeps going on, I'm going to ask Congress to ban football. And so it they changed the rules. They got rid of like the flying wedge and things like that, and things improved a lot. 
but but each advance is, has been good for one reason, but not always good for every reason. So the helmets, yeah, they they give great protection for what they're designed for, but they can't protect very well against concussion because concussion is a change in the acceleration of the brain, and that's what's causing the problem. Is there anything, uh, because they keep changing the helmet and, and trying new rules, is there anything you think that's on the horizon that could be a big jump in the technology, or are we just incrementally oh, trying to get wow. better and better equipment? I think we're always trying to get better and better, and, and there's some incredibly talented engineers working on those kinds of systems, and they are getting better, and I think Ultimately, it will reduce the risk of catastrophic head injury, but also concussion. You know, we're talking about a decrease of maybe 20 to 30 percent in the risk of concussion, which is which is good. But I think rules changes and enforcement of rules and change in coaching strategies and practices that'll help a lot. I mean, a lot of concussions in football, at least, happen in practice. Right. Um, the ones in the games are always, you know, very dramatic, of right. course, but most of them are going on in practice. Professor, my colleague had to leave. He had an important phone call that he had mm-hmm. to take. We apologize for that. He had mentioned rugby earlier, yes. where the players do not wear helmets, obviously. Mm-hmm. I'm a huge fan of the Arsenal Gunners in the English Premier League. I know a lot of your work has to do with soccer. Are we talking about heading the ball? Or are we talking about knee-to-head back or all of the above, you know, type of things? Great question. Uh, yeah, it was soccer that got me interested in studying concussions more. I was refereeing again. I was a soccer referee for many years. I was refereeing a game out at the FIT field and hard kicked ball came and the defender headed it back. Hair flies, sweat flies all over and he looks like he's glassy eyed and Oh, wow. Like an idiot, I turned to him and I said, what, 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 was, what did that feel like? And he just looked at me like I was stupid and said, bloody well hurt, mate. <laughs> and I said, yeah, it looked like it did. And then I said, I wonder what's going on in the brain when this happens. Yeah. And so that was how I started. And what I've found and what most have found is that very few concussions actually happen from head to ball contact, some more from ball to head. So if you're not alert that the ball's coming and it hits you and you're not prepared, it's going to swing your head around and that may cause a concussion. Otherwise, it's mostly that when you go up to head the ball, that's when you're vulnerable to someone else's I've elbow. Seen, I've seen a lot of elbow to head. Or yeah, head exactly. to head. It's more the head to head ones. Head to head ones. Sure. So we had one in the um, recent Women's World Cup where the two players went up head to head and they both came down and they were both dazed right. on the ground. Right. So it, it, it can happen in that sport, um, but it's, it's usually that elbow to head, head to head. Uh, head to ground, um, sometimes knee to head if if you're foolish enough to put your head down where there's a knee. Um, right, and, and and look, anyone who says that soccer is not a a hard contact or high contact sport hasn't really watched a they true are soccer match. So wrong, yeah, yeah, so wrong. It's it's, uh, it's, it's a, incredible the amount of stuff that these you know it is you know like players have to endure the speed, uh, the yes. time of contact. Uh, I mean, you're running ball. full tilt after the ball, and Absolutely. somebody is uh, as well. There's bound to be. Some boom Absolutely. moments there. Youth sports. Mm-hmm. I know that a lot of parents that I know are concerned. Should I yes. let my, you know, our child play this sport or that sport? What sport is safer? What do you tell parents of young kids that are about to get them into sports? What I would tell parents is that all sports that have the potential of contact and collision, there's a risk factor for head injury. It's 
probably a lower risk than knee injury or some other orthopedic injury, but it's certainly something to be concerned about. I would encourage all parents to go to a game, to a practice, by the coaches of the leagues that their kids might play in, whether it's football, soccer, basketball, whatever it is. See how those coaches coach. There's a YouTube video. There's two eight-year-old kids, full football garb, and their drill is to run full tilt at each other and hit helmet to helmet. Wow. Now That's like the old Oklahoma drill or something, right? It's exactly the old Oklahoma drill. Yeah, that's what I thought. And it's like... I thought that was banned, or that's not supposed to be happening. Well, it should be banned. It's not a new video, but it's it's sort of emblematic of the worst of what can be done coaching. Right. And too many coaches have simply followed what other coaches have done and not thought about it. I think the new generation of coaches, certainly the coach we have at Florida Tech, is very sensitive to these things, even to the point of rearranging the kinds of practices and the schedules of contact drills versus how many days off in between to try and minimize these risks. I like hearing that. That's very encouraging to hear. Yes. Lastly, Professor, before we let you go, if your kid or your student or your, you know, like player on your team uh, has an injury, what are some of the warning signs that you say, well, you know what, we got to get him out of the game and we have to try to seek some medical help for this person? First thing is you simply watch, see what happens. So kid gets hit falls down and doesn't get up right away or gets up and then stumbles a little bit, that's a sign that something has happened probably. If they're crying, that can be a sign. If they walk towards the wrong side of the field or if they're in football, they walk to the other huddle, that's always a good sign. Um, Look for that. Uh, But then any other physical symptoms, nausea, other dizziness, sound and light sensitivity, these are all physical symptoms. Cognitive symptoms, they're they're just not remembering things. Those are are some of the key ones. Great information you have, Professor. Uh, We really thank you for coming on the show, and we will catch up to you sometime soon. It's a pleasure. Thank you very much, John. So as you know, Brian, I'm a pretty big soccer fan, and a lot of his research is in soccer. And I was kind of surprised to learn that not many injuries happen with the ball being headed, because when you watch these games, I mean, these balls are flying in at breakneck speeds, and these guys are just blocking them with their heads. And I thought that was the main cause of concussions in soccer, but it really isn't. It's the elbow to the head. It's the knee to the head. It's falling down on the ground. So yeah, I know you've done some work on this, the right? The ball's full of air. You know, the elbow is not. The bones of the human body are just incredible. It's full of air, but it's hurtling at you. Yeah, I, I understand. Mean, it's going. I understand. You, John, you ever been hit with a lacrosse, the ball they use for lacrosse? No, no. Oh, I have always like, tried staying away from that sport. Yeah. Anyway, um, I've written about concussions a good bit in my years doing uh, covering high school sports. And various, I've written about uh, ACLs. And it's interesting to me that while treatment for ACLs has just come miles, you know, it seems like we are, you know, you can come back from an ACL much faster than you used to. When you and I were kids, ACL was the end of a running back's career. Oh, and it's funny because, not funny, but just odd that sportscasters still will say when somebody suffers an ACL injury about how long this will be, and they're always overshooting it. These things... After an ACL injury, you're pretty much up and around the next day. That doesn't mean you're ready to play football the next day, but you start your rehab immediately. Right. So those have come miles. I think brain injuries we're just starting to learn more about, and they're starting to be more careful about them. But I want to encourage people, especially in Brevard County, 
to look into who we play for. That's a group that was started by some Cocoa Beach students. If you remember many years ago, about 10 years ago, when uh, Rafe Macaron was a Cocoa Beach foot, uh, soccer player, although football is proper in, in their terminology, yeah. he collapsed before practice and died uh, the next day or I two. I do remember that, yeah. And uh, it had to do with an undiagnosed heart condition, and those are actually more prevalent. And obviously, uh, you know if you've been hit in the head, a lot of times you'll suffer these heart things without ever having diagnosed. And so this group that first started out as Play for Rafe, this group started raising money to place the automated external defibrillators in the schools, the AEDs, and they've saved lives. I've written about that too. Right. But then they got on to let's be proactive and start doing EKGs, which they now call ECGs because we've always got to change everything. <laughs> when did poinsettias become poinsettias? I don't know. Yeah. Anyway, um, they've started raising money for that, and they are testing kids by the thousand across Florida and beyond under the name Who We Play For. So I would encourage people to go uh, look up Who We Play For and possibly consider you know, contributing to that. That's a good organization that's local. But all of these injuries... Yeah, the Steelers this year, and, you know, I know that your coach at the Redskins for a while thought they were the only team that had injuries. Uh, Yeah, exactly. It's just the reality of the NFL, and especially in a sport. Look at when did did we lose quarterbacks 20 years ago or 30 years ago? It just didn't happen as much, and it's because they're so big and fast and strong. Right. Let me say supplementation in our air quotes, as we like to do around here, is so widespread in football that you couldn't compare – football players from 2019 to the steel curtain for example there's an argument on the steeler forum that i go to about whether those 1970s steelers teams could beat anybody that's around today and it's questionable because of the size and speed and strength i think it's the speed brian i think that the players today that the game today is just a lot faster when you look at some of the old highlights the middle linebackers would wear these giant shoulder pads and and forearm pads and these pads on their thighs and legs, and they had a hard time running fast. It was always like a big, bruising guy. Now the middle linebacker is probably your fastest guy on the defense. You know, it's just um, I mean, these guys are flying around. Sixty to seventy pounds bigger than he was back then. Right. You remember uh, was it Levon Kirkland from the Steelers who was the all of a sudden huge linebacker, and then that just became the trend. Um, it might have been somebody else that I'm misremembering, but look at how big offensive linemen were. When I was in college at Louisiana Tech, to have a 250-pounder or a few of them was a big deal. Now they wouldn't even be on the JV. Joe Gibbs, the Hogs, right? He was the first guy to have offensive linemen that were 300 pounds. And everybody was like, oh, my goodness, you know, 300 pounds. Now every team's got them. And, John, look at the way they move. You know, you've got 300-pounders that can chase somebody down. They're nimble, Brian. They're, they're like you on Thanksgiving morning. They're nimble. They're quick. They can jump over candlesticks. Yikes. And with that, we're going to take a short break. Hey, if you like what we do here at Florida Today, please consider buying a digital subscription. The cost is less than one premium cup of coffee per month. Just go to floridatoday.com backslash subscribe. Okay, Brian, so over at 321preps.com, the power rankings for all the local high school teams and the state high school teams all came out yesterday. I know that Heritage and Coco had some tough losses over the weekend. What does that do to the power rankings and their hopes for a state title? Well, that, that's what I want people to go see at 321preps.com because Heritage is now 
just below 500. Coco's still 5-2, and two, but Coco plays Rockledge two weeks from now, and they haven't beaten Rockledge in a couple of years, and I would think Rockledge would be favored this year also. So while I don't think a third loss is going to certainly not knock them out of a home game and probably not a bye, you know, who knows if it might knock them out of that top seed, which would mean that they'd be at home. It's just like the NFL or any sport, right, I guess, yeah. nowadays. You have you the top seed, yeah. you're at home through that part of the process, which in this case would be the in the regionals. So every little bit counts, and these these rankings, the way the formula is set up now, I still don't think they've honed in on it quite right yet because they jump pretty significantly each week. It's surprising how much a team will move. You know, you watch uh, – power ratings for like the NCAA basketball and right a big win may tick you up a tiny bit because they've got it honed down it's a science now these power ratings they fluctuate greatly from week to week and so what about hopes for a state championship here in Brevard this season Brian well I still think Coco has the best chance to get the farthest although the more I watch Rockledge they are really good John and and we've said this before I guess we just said it about pitching a few minutes ago, talking about that World Series. Defense might be able to get you a heck of a long way. Their offense is lacking something still, but it's better than it was the last couple of years to me. And so the defense is so good that they might have just enough offense to get really, really far. We'll see. We'll have to see what happens. Well, that's all for this week, Brian. So we will catch up to everybody next week. We'll see you then. Check us out at 321preps.com. And join us every week right here at 321 Overtime. See ya.